In February 2011, science fiction writer Peter Watts went to the doctor for a precautionary biopsy. He wanted to see if the small, black, pus-filled lesion on the right side of his calf was something to worry about. Peter thought he was being responsible. What he didn't know was that on his skin was a microscopic bacteria called Group A Streptococcus. The bacteria, whose most common manifestation is strep throat, was waiting for a way into Peter's body. Peter went home and waited for the results. Within hours, his biopsy wound was throbbing in pain. Initially, he brushed it off. Of course it hurt. The doctors had just punched two holes in his leg. But the pain only got worse. That night, he was in a speeding cab to the hospital using an old pair of jeans as a sling to prevent movement and so he wouldn't scream in agony. Doctors weren't worried until they saw black bubbles leaking out of Peter's leg. The initial lesion was caused by inflamed blood vessels, but the biopsy left an open wound that gave the strep bacteria a doorway into Peter's body. From there, the infection rapidly spread. The intense pain, the gushing blisters, these were signs of flesh-eating bacteria. The black bubbles traveled across his calf, eating away at his skin and muscle. According to his doctor, if he'd gone to the hospital even two hours later, he would have been dead. Now the only way to stop it was to cut the infection out of Peter's body, piece by piece. Even that gave no guarantee. One in three patients diagnosed with this infection die. There is no single cure for flesh-eating bacteria. When our bodies fail, we trust doctors to diagnose the problem. But medicine isn't always an exact science. Sometimes it's a guessing game with life or death stakes. This is Medical Mysteries, a ParCast original. I'm Molly. And I'm Richard. Every Tuesday, we'll look at the strangest real-life medical cases in history and the experts who raced against the clock to solve them. As we follow these high-intensity stories, we'll explore medical research that might solve the puzzle. You can find episodes of Medical Mysteries and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Medical Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Medical Mysteries in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love— Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. This is our first and only episode on flesh-eating bacteria, a devastating infection that liquefies skin and muscle. After centuries of dormancy, it re-emerged, causing a pandemic in the 1980s that nearly lasted until the end of the millennium. Now, thanks to climate change, it's thriving again in our beaches and even our restaurants. We are still ill-equipped to fight it, and it continues to take lives. 
A child hops up on the doctor's exam table with a running nose and a sore throat. Like many children his age, he has strep throat. He's prescribed antibiotics and goes on his way. The medicine will kill the bacteria. He'll get a couple days off from school and soon he won't even remember being sick. His strep throat was caused by a bacteria known as Group A Streptococcus. Depending on the strength of your immune system and your overall health, the bacteria could cause a couple of different conditions, but strep throat is the most common. However, while these conditions are relatively harmless, Group A strep can be deadly. If the bacteria enters the body through a break in the skin, it can cause what's known as necrotizing fasciitis, a.k.a. flesh-eating bacteria. The disease starts with a tiny red or black spot anywhere on the body. Like spilled ink on thin paper, the spot grows, traveling up and down a person's limbs. As the decaying flesh spreads, black blisters erupt on the body, leaving the skin raw and flayed. In some cases, muscles can be seen through the gaping holes that the bacteria leave behind. These frightening results can occur within just 24 hours of infection. As survivor Peter Watts said, a flesh-eating bacteria without a known cure sounds like something from a science fiction film, but it's all too real. After intense surgery, Peter survived his infection, left with only large scars across his calf. But he was one of the luckier patients. As we struggle to find better treatments, the bacteria continues to grow and find new ways to infect us. Though rare, a new strain of superbacteria in the 1980s led to necrotizing fasciitis appearing stronger than ever before. This infiltrated popular consciousness, especially in North America. Nobody was safe, including those in power. In the 1980s, Canada was introduced to Lucienne Bouchard, a new charismatic member of the political party, Bloc Québécois. Lucien quickly rose up government ranks until, in 1985, he became Canada's ambassador to France. Three years later, he was named Secretary of State. He continued building his career working for the future of Quebec. In October 1994, it was a crucial time in Canadian politics. Quebec was on the brink of secession. Lucien was leading the fight for Quebec's independence, but come November, he had to step away. He came down with severe flu-like symptoms. Political parties replaced their opposing views with well wishes when Lucien admitted himself to Saint-Luc Hospital in Montreal on November 29th. Doctors originally thought he had a case of thrombophlebitis in his left leg. Thrombophlebitis occurs when a blood clot causes inflammation in a vein. It typically affects the legs. Often it's caused by injuries within the vein itself. However, when doctors began treating Lucien's blood clot, terror washed over them. Lucien's blood clot was infected with flesh-eating bacteria. The doctors realized they were fighting for his life. And this wasn't the flesh-eating bacteria they'd read about in textbooks. While Lucien was building his career in the Canadian government, flesh-eating bacteria had been evolving. 
Dr. Musser of Houston Methodist Research Institute in Texas tracked Group A strep's evolution throughout the 20th century. At the beginning of the century, necrotizing fasciitis was rarely found outside of military hospitals. But then, according to Dr. Musser, it went through four evolutionary events that made us susceptible. During the first two of these events, Group A strep became infected with two types of viruses and absorbed their toxins into their DNA. Just like humans, bacteria can be infected by viruses. These toxins stayed with Group A strep as it reproduced, resulting in a bacteria that was more contagious. During the third event, these toxins naturally mutated into a stronger form. Finally, around the 1980s, when Lucien Bouchard was becoming a household name, the bacteria went through its last change. After an infection from another virus, Group A strep absorbed two more toxins and the ability to produce them in huge quantities. Dr. Musser says these four events ultimately resulted in two important character changes to the organism, which were the ability to cause an increased number of infections and an increased severity of infection. Though severe cases of flesh-eating bacteria were becoming more common, Lucien was still shocked at how quickly it had escalated. He couldn't even be certain where or how he was exposed. Flesh-eating bacteria can enter the body through a break in the skin as small as a paper cut. Once the bacteria is in, a person will develop flu-like symptoms within 24 hours, just like Lucien. They could also experience pain at or near their open cut. The pain may feel akin to a pulled muscle in the beginning, but it quickly escalates. Soon, the area will begin to swell, red or black marks appear. Blisters on the skin emit a wretched smell as they seep dishwater-colored fluid. It could look as if the skin is boiling before a limb turns completely black. While it's called flesh-eating bacteria, Dr. John Crude describes the disease as the body digesting itself. However you describe it, it spreads quickly. Some figures estimate that the bacterial infection kills skin tissue at 2.5 centimeters per hour. And Lucien Bouchard was no exception. Within two days, flesh-eating bacteria quickly putrefied his leg up to his chest cavity. Lucien feared for his life as he watched the bacteria climb up his body. During the last few days of November, Thousands of his supporters gathered in front of the hospital, praying that he would pull through. The person who fought for their beloved Quebec's independence was dying. The region's future lay in the doctor's hands. But stopping flesh-eating bacteria is no small feat. To combat the disease, the patient is infused with antibiotics while surgeons cut off the infected flesh hoping to stop the bacteria from traveling. Sadly, antibiotics are often ineffective in getting the bacteria under control. A press release by the National Necrotizing Fasciitis Foundation stated that this treatment is, quote, tragically inadequate. No matter what they did, 
it was still possible for the bacteria to reappear somewhere else on Lucien's body. Standing above Lucien in his hospital bed, they determined there was only one way to give him even a fighting chance, surgical debridement. Like a machete cutting through an unruly forest, doctors had to slash away at Lucien's decayed flesh. In a surgical debridement, all infected tissue must be removed to protect the healthy tissue and vital organs from falling prey. It was an intense, major procedure, and it didn't guarantee survival. But it was Lucien's only hope, so he went under the knife. When this news hit the press, the country banded together in support. Canadians across the land feared the loss of the man they had grown to know over their morning news. Candlelit vigils were held, well wishes were sent, Parliament halls were left in an eerie, somber silence. Meanwhile, in the hospital, Lucien survived his surgery. However, he hadn't been cured. As skilled as the surgeons were, their precision was no match for the ferocity of the bacteria. They removed all of the infected tissue from his hip and chest, but Lucien's body was still under attack. Like antibiotics, surgical debridement isn't always effective. Even after the removal of dead skin tissue, flesh-eating bacteria continues to spread underneath the surgeon's scalpel. Doctors can cut dead flesh off a patient's hand, but the bacteria may already be on its way to the person's shoulder. The National Organization for Rare Disorders states that on average, it takes three separate surgeries to control the spread of the disease. At this point, there's not much doctors can do. They're left to helplessly watch as their patients inch closer and closer to death. The disease mocks them as it fights past antibiotics and surgeries. And Bouchard's case was no exception. Even after two surgical debridements, flesh-eating bacteria was rapidly attacking. The doctors had to take drastic measures to keep it from spreading. On December 1st, they told Lucien he had one option left. They had to amputate his leg. Lucien agreed cutting off his left leg was the only chance to save his life. Before going under, Lucien wrote a note to his country in French, translated as... Please carry on. Newspapers printed the note, and his supporters took it to heart. It was a message to continue the fight for independence, while Lucien continued the fight for his life. The words were hung on a banner across from the hospital. Even under extreme duress, he hadn't lost sight of his vision for Quebec. On December 1st, 1994, surgeons amputated Lucien's left leg up to his mid-thigh, hoping the bacteria hadn't spread farther. After an excruciating four days in the hospital, the doctors announced to the Canadian press that Lucien Bouchard would make a full recovery. The country was relieved Lucien had survived, but after following the national story, many Canadians realized that flesh-eating bacteria could strike anyone. 
Doctors saved Lucian, but at the cost of his leg. And had he discovered the infection any later, he'd have died. Such is the case with flesh-eating bacteria. In a race against the clock, all doctors have at their disposal are antibiotics and their scalpels. Thirty years later, one would think the treatment would have improved. But the disease attacks so rapidly, there's no time to explore alternative treatments. As one father recently learned, flesh-eating bacteria hasn't gone away. In fact, it can be contracted anywhere, even somewhere as benign as a picnic in a park. Coming up, one man's battle with the disease sends him into septic shock. Thank you so much for listening. We want to take this time to tell you that Medical Mysteries will be taking the next two weeks off. We'll be back with a brand new episode on January 7th. In the meantime, we do have a special gift to share with you. While we're away, we'll be airing our listeners' most requested episodes of 2019. If you'd like to check out the most requested episodes from ParCast's other shows, subscribe to ParCast Presents to hear our best of 2019. From everyone here at ParCast, we'd like to wish you a happy holiday season. We're thankful for your support and look forward to bringing you even more unique and entertaining podcasts in the new year. Thanks for listening. Now back to the story. Flesh-eating bacteria is a terrifying infection where one's skin appears to digest itself. Though rare, it continues to infect people today, and we still don't have the proper measures to fight it. In May 2010, Doug Murphy was at a picnic for his daughter's kindergarten class. His kids played with their friends while he mingled with the other parents. At the end of the picnic, Doug offered to help the teachers clean up. As an operator of a summer camp, he was used to cleaning up after kids. He walked along the field and threw out food and paper plates. As he cleaned, one of the trash bags he was using sprung a leak. As Doug tied the bag closed, one of its leaky corners brushed against his ankle, leaving a tiny bit of liquid on his sock. He didn't think much of it. He brushed it off with his hand and carried on cleaning. What he didn't know was that the liquid seeping into his sock started to seep into his skin. There was a minuscule cut on his ankle, imperceptible to the naked eye. That night, Doug was watching a movie with his family in his Brooklyn home. He started feeling feverish. The next morning, he noticed a small black mark where the bag had touched his ankle. Not long after, the ankle started to swell. Doug asked his two kids if he had a spider bite, a common misdiagnosis for necrotizing fasciitis's initial symptoms. However, unlike a spider bite, the swelling spread to his foot and up his leg. As it did, Doug felt unbearable blinding pain. By sunset, he couldn't put any weight on the ankle. When he broke out in a fever, he rushed himself to the hospital. The black spot, which started off as the size of a quarter, was now as big as a pineapple. 
Doug entered the New York Methodist Hospital, limped to the intake desk, and then suddenly collapsed. According to ABC News, his leg looked as if acid was poured on it. Doctors quickly diagnosed Doug with flesh-eating bacteria and put him on a combination of antibiotics. Unfortunately, the medicine wasn't enough to slow the bacteria down. It's possible that the antibiotics weren't working for a few different reasons. The first being that antibiotics are delivered via the circulatory system, and flesh-eating bacteria infection cuts off blood flow to the dead tissue it creates. Thus, antibiotics have no way of reaching the decaying flesh. All antibiotics can do is block the bacteria from infecting the healthy tissue which is often an ill-fated effort since flesh-eating bacteria spreads at such a rapid rate. It appears in different parts of the body before the antibiotics ever get their chance. But there's another, even scarier reason antibiotics don't always help fight flesh-eating bacteria. As we mentioned earlier, the strain has mutated due to exposure to other bacteria, viruses, and toxins. As it continues to evolve, it may be becoming resistant to antibiotics. According to the CDC, some bacteria mutate to develop a natural resistance to antibiotics. And as diseases become more resistant, mortality rates increase. Recently, the National Organization for Rare Disorders stated that flesh-eating bacteria has an increased resistance to the antibiotic clindamycin, which decreases toxin production and, in the past, kept people with the disease from having such severe symptoms. Once strep group A is completely resistant to antibiotics, doctors will have even fewer options when skin boils on their exam table. Without an absolute cure, more amputations and deaths lurk on the horizon. And in 2010, Doug Murphy was staring down this bleak future. While Doug's antibiotics weren't working, his sister stayed with him in the hospital room day and night. Matted in sweat, his fever started playing tricks on his mind. At one point, he told his mother that he was invited to Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie's party and had to hop on a private plane to Tokyo. Doug's sister watched his temperature shoot to 107.7 degrees. And as his fever worsened, his kidneys started to fail. When flesh-eating bacteria advances, a patient like Doug may experience streptococcal toxic shock syndrome, or STSS. It can lead to kidney, lung, liver, or other vital organ failures, which might induce a coma. Even worse, when STSS sets in, the consumption rate of flesh-eating bacteria accelerates even more. Doug's leg and toes were already covered in red and black skin, bits of flesh being liquefied before his very eyes. Soon, the flesh-eating bacteria entered Doug's bloodstream. His blood pressure declined. His kidneys began to shut down. He was going into septic shock, a sudden inflammation that can occur in severe widespread infections. According to the Sepsis Alliance, 30% of patients do not survive once sepsis starts. 
Doctors told Doug's mother to get his paperwork in order. He was inching closer and closer to death. His family waited by his bedside, praying for a miracle. Doctors watched the infection lines cross over Doug's knee. It seemed the antibiotic had failed. They couldn't let the bacteria go any further. It was time to amputate Doug's leg. Thankfully, as the doctors were printing out the amputation authorization forms, Doug's fever miraculously broke. The antibiotics finally started to work. After further tests, the doctors decided it was safe for Doug to keep his leg. Though the antibiotics were finally working, Doug remained in the hospital for six weeks before he was well enough to go home. But the wound that the flesh-eating bacteria left behind spanned the area from his toes to his knee. It took a year to heal, and his leg was never the same. Because of the horrifying nature of Doug's story and the disease, he was featured in the Daily Mail in 2015. The paper noted that his foot has healed completely mottled and hurts much of the time. The infection also severely damaged the lymph nodes in his leg. Years later, it still swelled every day and had to be elevated at night. But Doug knows he's lucky to be alive. He continues to work for his summer camp, spend time with his family, and sing in a country rock band. The lingering pain flesh-eating bacteria left behind is a small price to pay considering. Stories like Lucian and Doug's are easy to find. You may have even seen a case of flesh-eating bacteria featured in an article on your newsfeed. And bacteria are everywhere. Bacteria might cross your mind from time to time. You squirt some sanitizer into your hand. When the plastic hand sanitizer bottle is empty, you throw it into the trash without giving it another thought. It served its purpose. You are now bacteria-free. However, that plastic bottle lives on. It is sent to the town dump and, like most plastic waste, is incinerated, contributing to metric tons of greenhouse gases that plastic waste puts out into the atmosphere. With the ocean absorbing the heat from these gases, water temperatures continue to rise, and that warmth is creating a perfect environment for a different strain of flesh-eating bacteria to thrive. This flesh-eating bacteria is different than Doug and Lucian's. And since 2017, flesh-eating bacteria is becoming more and more common for people like fishermen and sailors, even the everyday beachgoer just dipping their toes into the ocean waves. In September 2017, Jeanette LeBlanc was visiting Louisiana. After a long day of crabbing on the coast, she caught up with friends and family trading stories over a bucket of raw oysters. What she thought was an allergic reaction forming on her leg soon turned into open, blistering wounds. She was rushed to the hospital. Doctors diagnosed her with flesh-eating bacteria. She bravely fought the illness for 21 days, but ultimately succumbed to it on October 15th. 2017. Another man visited a Sarasota, Florida restaurant with friends on July 8, 2018. While eating and laughing with his buddies, he slurped down his dinner of raw oysters. 
Within two days, his body was ridden with dying flesh. He died on July 10, 2018, at 71 years old. In July 2018, Angel Perez was crabbing in New Jersey's Morris River. His lower right leg swelled after it was splashed by the crashing waves. Hours later, he was in excruciating pain. His forearms, calves, and feet darkened with flesh-eating bacteria. All four of his limbs needed to be partially amputated. Group A streptococcus is the primary cause of flesh-eating bacteria. Peter Watts, Lucien Bouchard, Doug Murphy, and thousands of unfortunate souls have been infected by Group A strep. But these recent cases are different. Beneath the waves of your favorite ocean view is another bacteria waiting to strike. Coming up, another type of flesh-eating bacteria emerges from the throes of climate change. Now back to the story. A man at work on the river, a woman seeing old friends, a senior citizen enjoying his meal, each contracted a flesh-eating bacterial infection, either through warm ocean waters getting into their open wounds or from ingesting raw oysters. Their strain originated from Vibrio vulnificus, a type of bacteria that lives in coastal waters or in raw and undercooked seafood. Vibrio bacteria grows anywhere with warm water, especially salt water. Your local beach, the fishing spot you shared with your dad, your favorite seafood restaurant, all could be teeming with Vibrio. According to Dr. Lila Wach-Colburn, the bacteria is very common in the Gulf Coast and in beach areas, especially when the water warms up in May through October. Vibrio's perfect environment is water above 68 degrees Fahrenheit. While many strains of Vibrio won't harm humans much, Vibrio vulnificus can be devastating. And according to Newsweek, in 2017, doctors began to see more cases of Vibrio flesh-eating bacteria at times and locations of the year where it usually doesn't appear. A paper from the Annals of Internal Medicine discussed cases of Vibrio vulnificus in the Delaware Bay, which is odd considering the bay's typically cool water temperature. The paper suggests that climate change warming up U.S. waters allowed flesh-eating bacteria to spread to new environments. Even if ocean water temperatures rise as little as a degree higher, Vibrio bacteria grows. The difference between 67 and 68 degrees could be all the bacteria needs to cause a pandemic. Marine microbiologist Craig Baker Austin of the United Kingdom also noted that extreme weather events can increase the spread of bacteria. Baker Austin uses Hurricane Katrina as an example. Baker Austin states that the hurricane storm mixed together the salt and fresh water in the Gulf region. So, Vibrio vulnificus traveled inland from warm coastal saltwater into freshwater rivers. As people and their belongings were being submerged in floodwater, Vibrio infections rose. According to the CDC, 
18 wound-associated cases of Vibrio bacterial infection were reported after Katrina hit in 2005. Some of these infections were milder, but 82% of them were flesh-eating bacteria. And as our planet's temperature keeps changing, bacteria will continue to multiply right under our noses. Picture yourself sitting on the beach. Suntan lotion stings as you rub it into your leg. There's a small scrape below your knee. You try to think back to when you could have gotten it. You vaguely remember bumping into your coffee table. Maybe that's what did it. You don't give it a second thought. The sun is beaming down. The water is at the perfect temperature to jump right in. Your friend jokes to get out of the water before a shark swims by. While you know shark attacks are incredibly rare, the thought stays with you. You shake it off. You've been going to this beach your whole life. There are no sharks here. However, there could be Vibrio bacteria. That scrape on your leg is the perfect infection point. And surprisingly, it may be a more reasonable fear than that shark. According to a report by the Florida Museum of Natural History and the American Elasmo Branch Society, in 2018, there were a total of only 66 confirmed unprovoked shark attacks worldwide. And according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Vibrio bacteria causes an estimated 80,000 illnesses each year in the U.S. alone. And out of those 80,000 cases the CDC reported, 52,000 of them were estimated to be from contaminated food. The statistics are definitely a scary thought, one that reached news headlines everywhere in 2019. As case after case reached the media, beach and seafood lovers were stricken with fear. Fortunately, though, flesh-eating bacteria isn't as common as headlines make it seem. While Vibrio flourishes in our waters, it doesn't always cause flesh-eating bacterial infections. More often than not, a Vibrio infection causes food poisoning. Vibrio vulnificus, the flesh-eating virus, is very rare. Dr. Kimberly Reese, Chair of Aquatic Health Sciences at the Virginia Institute of Marine Science, says it seldom infects healthy individuals. So those with a compromised immune system are more susceptible. However, according to the CDC, if you have any open wounds, it's best to stay out of salt water. If that's unavoidable, wounds and cuts should be covered with a waterproof bandage. It's also advisable to thoroughly wash wounds with soap and water after exposure to salt water or raw seafood. Dr. Reese advises that to be completely safe, people have to be aware of their own health. If a person knows that they have a compromised immune system, they should thoroughly cook their shellfish to kill any harmful bacteria. Dr. Reese also notes that the shellfish industry is doing a very good job in preventing further infections. They're keeping their shellfish stock at lower temperatures in an effort to keep the bacteria from multiplying. But according to Dr. Gabby Barbarite, a Vibrio researcher at Florida Atlantic University's Harbor Branch Oceanographic Institution, in reality, we're never going to get rid of all the bacteria. 
What we can do is teach people how to stay safe, how they can safely handle seafood and safely spend time in the water. As long as proper precautions are taken, the fear of this rare disease doesn't need to ruin a trip to the beach or a seafood dinner. There are still the unlucky few who contract the disease, but thanks to new research, we may have a better treatment to do just that. Unfortunately, the majority of the medical community isn't using it. In January 2012, 51-year-old Lori Madsen fell in a parking lot, leaving her with a rugburn-like scrape on her arm. That same night, her arm swelled to four times its size. She had flesh-eating bacteria, and her antibiotic treatment at San Francisco's Seton Medical Center wasn't working. She went into septic shock and spent a week in the ICU before the doctors took her into surgery. They needed to remove the dying skin. At first, the surgery seemed successful, but before long, the infection reemerged and began spreading again. Lori's arm might have to be amputated to stop the progression of the bacteria. She feared losing her arm, but she couldn't bear to think what would happen if the bacteria didn't stop. The hospital called on Dr. John Crew. Dr. Crew was a vascular surgeon and Seton Medical Center's wound specialist. He thought he might be able to use a new experimental technique to save her. Lori went in for surgery again to remove the decomposing skin. Then Dr. Crew flushed the surgery wounds with neutrophase. He had been using the product for years to sterilize wounds, but Lori was the first time he'd used it on a case of flesh-eating bacteria. Neutrophase was developed by Nova Bay Pharmaceuticals and contains hypochlorous acid. Hypochlorous acid is naturally produced in the body by white blood cells, which defend the body against infections. According to Dr. Harvey Himmel, Hypochlorous acid is one of the most common chemicals found to purify water in swimming pools and is used as a disinfectant in food preparation. Dr. Crew hoped that the neutrophase would clean the wound of all flesh-eating bacteria cells, preventing it from spreading after the surgery. Lori felt better almost immediately after the surgery and treatment with neutrophase. The pain was subsiding and her fever broke. Six days later, Dr. Crew found another spot on Lori's arm that was dying from the disease. Instead of bringing her into another surgery, Dr. Crew inserted a catheter directly into the area and flushed it with more neutrophase. Dr. Crew was astounded to find that her elbow healed rapidly with no traces of the bacteria left behind. Lori spent three and a half weeks in the hospital before doctors sent her home. Thanks to Dr. Crew, she had beaten flesh-eating bacteria without a multitude of repeated surgeries. All she had was an unassuming scar. Inspired, Dr. Crew started researching neutrophase. What his team found was that it disables the flesh-eating bacteria toxins that kill tissue, neutralizing them. This allowed the body to heal as it normally would without the advancing bacteria getting in its way. In 2013, Dr. Crew published his findings on this treatment 
detailing how it was used on six necrotizing fasciitis patients. All six of them survived the infection with no amputations. Dr. Cruz's success stories spoke for themselves. In the four years before Lori came to Seton Medical Center, the hospital treated nine cases of necrotizing fasciitis. Two of them died, and two others lost a limb. In the two years after Dr. Cruz started implementing his neutrophase treatment, he either consulted on or directly treated 14 cases. No limbs were lost. Everybody survived. The National Necrotizing Fasciitis Foundation issued a press release naming Dr. Cruz's treatment as a very exciting new approach that we hope can make a major difference in saving limbs and life. Their goal is that Dr. Cruz's technique becomes the standardized flesh-eating bacteria care rather than the current treatment. Too many lives have been lost in hoping that surgical debridement and amputation will stop the disease. Dr. Cruz's work was so respected that in 2014, he was nominated for the Lister Legacy Prize. Presented by the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh, the award is for those whose work greatly contributes to controlling infections. Unfortunately, while some doctors are using Dr. Cruz's treatment, many doctors refuse to. Even with the praise Dr. Cruz was getting, the medical community is hesitant to use a treatment that hasn't been thoroughly tested. And according to Dr. Stanley Derisinski, doing a clinical trial of the treatment is next to impossible because of how uncommon flesh-eating bacteria is. As we mentioned earlier, it seems that the rarity of flesh-eating bacteria is bittersweet. It's rare enough that people with healthy immune systems don't have much to worry about, but too rare to find enough people for a medical study. Without a proper study, the medical community will be slow to accept any new drug, even if it can save more lives. Unfortunately, on January 12, 2017, Dr. John Crew died due to complications from a stroke. While it remains to be seen if his treatment will become the go-to for flesh-eating bacteria, he's still honored as a man who saved many lives. As Dr. Cruz said, the only downside in his technique is not using it. He told Radio MD, We've had great success when doctors treat patients in the right way, but terrible success when they won't use it. While the search for a cure faces obstacles, doctors are looking for a different way to save lives from flesh-eating bacteria infections. Prevention. Dr. James Musser, who we mentioned earlier, is leading a charge to learn more about the modern strain of flesh-eating bacteria. In 2017, Musser met Dr. Andrew Waller. He was the head of bacteriology at the United Kingdom's Animal Health Trust. Musser observed Dr. Waller's work on equine distemper, an upper respiratory condition in horses caused by group A strep. Equine distemper is over 80% identical to human strep throat, according to Science Daily. Waller's team was able to create a vaccine for the condition by finding essential genes in equine distemper's chemical makeup and targeting them. Upon seeing their success, 
Mussers set out to use their gene-finding techniques to identify what genes turn Group A strap into flesh-eating bacteria. And after several studies, Musser and Waller's team nailed it. Musser hopes that they can use these genetic findings to develop better prevention practices, treatments, and one day a vaccine for Group A strep. The vaccine will protect a person from all of the diseases Group A strep can cause, including flesh-eating bacteria. There's a long road of tests and studies that must be done before a vaccine can be available to the public. But with this new research in hand, Musser hopes that within 20 years, they will have a vaccine ready for the world. In the meantime, proper precautions are key in preventing the disease. As with Vibrio vulnificus, flesh-eating bacteria caused by group A strep is incredibly rare. But just because it's rare doesn't mean it won't happen to you. Thanks for listening to Medical Mysteries. You can find all episodes of Medical Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Medical Mysteries, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Medical Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Medical Mysteries in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Medical Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Travis Clark, and Joel Stein. This episode of Medical Mysteries was written by Brandon Rizzuto with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Just a reminder that we'll be back with a new episode on January 7th. In the meantime, we'll be playing our listeners' most requested episodes of 2019. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful holiday season.